Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 2 and read verses 18 through 25. The Bible said, And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make an helpmeet for him. Out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. That's key right there, closing up the flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. And they were not ashamed. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, marriage is serious business. Marriage is serious business. Now, we dealt with God's definition of marriage a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we talked about what the Word of God said about divorce, God and divorce. We looked at some things from the Scripture. And the Bible says here in the book of Genesis that God made Eve for Adam. And Adam obviously was also intended by God for Eve. Now I think that, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of people uh, dating for 15 years before they get married. Because, you know, marriage... You grow together. You make mistakes together. And then you fix it together. And you learn how to become one through that. I mean, so many... We're, we're in a culture today, and just I'm, I'm trying to lay this groundwork here before we really get into the meat of this, but we're in a culture today where it's like, okay, uh, you graduated from high school. Now you're going to go to college. Don't get married till you get out of college. And so they spend however many years in college, and then they say, well, you know, can't really get married until we get ourselves a good job and get established in a good job. And so what happens is then they end up not getting married until 30 or 35 years old, and you're like 35 years old or 40 years old before the first child comes, and when that child graduates from high school, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. <laughs> I mean, think about it. And so I believe God intended for us to do life together. You know what? You can get married and still go to college. You can get married and, and still work on your career. You know, in fact, it might be a little extra work, but let me tell you from someone who traveled that path, it's worth it. It's really worth it. And so here's what, hap here's what happens. As we go through life, the older we'll become, we become, the more set in our ways we are. And so when we get married when we're older, 
I'm talking about for the first time. When we get married, when we're older for the first time and we join ourselves to someone who is older for the first time, then you have two people who are set in their ways who were creating their own path and it's creating all kinds of conflict and for the rest of their lives, they're going to have to work on becoming one. So I'm preaching to the young people right now for just a few moments. If you have found your God-ordained mate... You do not have to wait 10 years to marry them. You don't have to do that, okay? God intended for us to grow together. He intended for us to grow. Somebody said to me once, they said, wow. Uh, They said, "Uh, Donna's a pretty good wife. I said, yeah, I raised her. (laughs) She was 18 when we got married and I was 22. She tells everybody that she raised me. I think we kind of raised each other. Now, so this is to the single person. Don't kill your marriage before it begins. Don't kill your marriage before it begins. You say, well, what if I married wrong, Pastor? What if I'm already married and I married wrong? Do I just dump them and start again? That sounds good, doesn't it? But that doesn't fix anything. You don't just dump them and start again. If you are married to the wrong person, then you have to try to make it work. Listen very closely according to the boundaries that are written in God's Word. With that said, I want to address the subject of abuse for just a moment because I didn't get a chance to address it last week. I didn't feel the leading of the Holy Spirit to address it last week. I did have some questions. I had people come up to me and say, well, you talked about what the Bible said for divorce, but you didn't talk about abuse. What if I'm in an abusive relationship? Here is my, and it's not popular, but here is... My recommendation for someone that's in in an abusive relationship, God never intended for you to be with a man who pounds on you. He didn't intend for you to be with the woman who abuses you. And separation is different than divorce. And so I advise people, if you need to separate to get out of that abusive situation where potentially someone could really get hurt, then go ahead for a period of time and have that time of separation. But during that time, pray for God's grace and pray for restoration and pray that things get fixed. Now, here's the part that's not real popular, and I'm going to say it anyway. Because you know me, I shoot from the hip, it's the word. If the abuser does not repent, and you are separated, the spirit that drives that abuse will eventually give you grounds for divorce. Biblical grounds. Here's the thing I want you to understand. God is into restoration. God is into healing. God is into health. And God is into wholeness. But He doesn't expect you to travel the road of abuse to get there. And so he wants us to be at peace. Now, in, in the day and age in which we live, in the day and age in which we live, we try to turn the marriage covenant into a contract. Contracts are signed. I, I shared this with you before. Contracts are signed. Covenants are cut. Adam was cut. The Bible said God took a rib from Adam, and I told you it was significant that God closed up the flesh. That tells me that Adam was cut. That creates a covenant. You can erase a contract with an eraser, but you can't erase a scar. You may cover it up, you may mask it, but the scar is still there because the cut still took place. And God cut Adam and took from him a rib and created this beautiful creature called a woman and brought her 
to him. And they came into a covenant, not a contract, but they came into a covenant relationship. Jesus himself was cut. He he offers us covenant. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him and by His stripes we are healed. Every wound that Jesus had on Calvary and every wound that He had at the crucifixion paid for something. Not only did it pay for something, it was a cut covenant to bring to you what it was paying for. So a lot of times we're not taught covenant. We're not taught the seriousness of covenant. We are not taught the seriousness of marriage. We're not taught the sanctity or the sacredness of marriage. Therefore, we cannot understand the seriousness of divorce. Now, how we respond when we are wounded will largely determine the success or the failure of our marriage relationship. Now listen very closely. We learn how to respond when we're wounded from our parents. Our parents teach us through example and through showing us how to respond when they are wounded. And so parents, one of the worst things that you can do is mask your child from pain. Because you don't teach them how to deal with it. You don't teach them how to process it. I know some parents that never taught their child how to process the word no, and when their kids grew up, they grew up to be brats, and now they're creating all kinds of problems for the family, and the parents come to us and say, I just need counseling. I don't know what I did. I tried to give them everything. I tried to give them. That's the problem. Should have come to me 15 years ago. One of the worst things you can do is never make your child face their challenges. If you take that away from them later on in life, they're going to have to figure it out on their own. And when they're figuring it out on their own, they're probably not going to have mom and dad there to help them when they're wounded. And so be with them. Walk with them through the challenges. Don't fix everything for your kids. Let them fix things themselves especially when you're there so you can be there to help them and to guide them. Now, with all of that said, with all of that said, I want to talk to you today about seven steps that that can help us get started or in some cases restarted right in our relationships. And, And these are from the Word of God. Number one, when you're getting ready to get married or you're looking at a spouse to become married, you need to ask yourself some common sense questions. Number one, are they sexually pure? Not perfect, but are they sexually pure? What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if they run around with you, they will run around on you. I said if they run around with you, they will run around on you. If they run around while you are dating, they will definitely run around while you are married. And so you need to ask yourself these questions, are they sexually pure? I want you to go with me, please, to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. See, I'm going to change this to the amplified version here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse number 9 there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, start at verse number 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous and the wrongdoers will not inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived or misled, neither the impure and immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who participate in homosexuality, nor cheats, swindlers, and thieves, nor greedy graspers, nor drunkards, nor foul-mouthed revilers, and slanders, nor extortioners and robbers will inherit or have any share in the kingdom of God. Now look at verse number 11. And such were some of you once. This is the Amplified. And such were some of you once. But you were washed clean. You were purified by a complete atonement for sin and made free from the guilt of sin. And you were consecrated, set apart, hallowed, and you were justified, pronounced righteous by trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the whole, and in the Holy Spirit of our God. Now when it says you were set apart and hallowed and you were justified and pronounced righteous, what is that talking about? It's talking about that the blood of Jesus Christ can set you apart again for the right mate. Set you apart again for the right mate. And then then we go on here and the Bible says here in verse number 11, and you are justified and pronounced righteous by trusting in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that takes care of the God situation. The Bible says that you were justified and pronounced righteous by God. And so what God is saying is, and so so when when I say that are they sexually pure or not perfect, I'm not saying that you need to be with someone who's not ever been with anyone else. I'm saying the Bible says in verse number 11, and such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are cleansed, but you are purified, and you are set apart, and you are sanctified holy, and prepared for that which God has prepared for you. Not only are you prepared and hallowed or made holy for that, but where you were unrighteous, you became righteous in the sight of God and God worked justification inside of you just as if you had never sinned. He made all things new. So there's hope when you've been through a troubled relationship. There's hope when you've been through a divorce or two. There's hope for that. God can make all things new. So the first question you have to ask yourself is simply a sexual question. Are they pure? Not have they been pure in the past or you need to know are they pure now? Is their heart right now? Are they right now? The second question is this. It's a scriptural spiritual question. It says, it's this, are they a believer? And I'm going to read a scripture to you here in just a few moments. It's also in in 2 Corinthians, actually, chapter 6. Are they a believer? Now, when I talk about are they a believer, did you know that it is a sin to marry an unbeliever? How do you know that, Pastor? Because It it all goes back to the definition of sin. Uh, The definition of sin is a willful transgression against the law of God. And when God tells you to not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever and you go on and you do it because you think you can get them saved later, then what you're doing is you're going directly in contradiction to what God's Word says and what you've got coming to to you is... Chaos and confusion and war and, 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 and now let me take this a little bit further, okay? 
When it talks about an unbeliever, that's not just talking about somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Listen very closely. If you are a Spirit-filled believer, you do not need to hook up with somebody who does not believe in the move of the Spirit of God today. What's going to happen when the kids come? Are we going to take these kids over here where they do all of their, you know, things and, and all of this, and, and, but, but we're not taking them over there where, you know, we, we, we believe in the move of the Spirit, the speaking with other tongues, the gifts of, of prophecy, the, the working of miracles, all those things in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 that the Bible says are for today. You know, we're not taking them over there to that. And so you got maybe the wife saying, well, you know, I grew up in a, in, in, in a Spirit-filled church, and the husband saying, but I didn't grow up like that, and I think they're all just a fina- bunch of fanatics and besides that all they want your money and all this and all this and just going on and on and on and the kids are sitting over there and they are watching this and as they watch this their conflict resolution cognitive skills are being developed and so when they grow up and decide I don't want to go to church and you come running and saying I don't know why it's because you hooked up wrong What do I do if I'm hooked up wrong? What if I'm in a situation like that? You have to pray and give it to the Lord and ask God to work on it and stay within the biblical boundaries of the healing of relationships, what the the Word of God says. Now, I'm going to say something else here too now. Here we go. Here we go. If you're having problems with a person that you're going to marry... Getting them to, they say they're a Christian, they say they're spirit-filled and all that kind of stuff, and you have to talk them into tithing? I would not marry anybody that does not tithe. Why do you say that? Because it's not a money problem. It's a heart problem. Tithing, the non-tithing is an indication of a heart problem. It's like, well, I know what God's Word says, but I don't trust Him enough to practice it. I have a friend who won't, let, who won't let people carry his briefcase that don't tithe. You say, that's nuts. No, it's not. I asked him once, I said, John Paul, I said, how come you're like that? He said, because if they'll steal from God, they'll steal from me. Listen to me very closely, okay? Do not marry somebody if you have a different belief when it comes to giving to God. Because your heart is totally committed to the Lord if you're a tither. Their heart is not totally committed. I don't care how long they've been in church. I don't care how much they say they're a Christian. I don't care how much they prophesy. I don't care how much they shout. Those of us that are spirit I don't care how much they speak in tongues. If you don't tithe, then you are missing Christianity 101. And you don't need to be with somebody that's going to have where you're going to have a financial battle with them about obeying God in your giving. Do not marry an unbeliever. Don't marry an unbeliever. Now, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Here's what the Bible says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers... 
For what fellowship, that word fellowship is the word koinonia, which means partnership. For what partnership have righteousness with unrighteousness or lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what does Christ have in common with Belial or Baal? Or what has an unbeliever in common with an unbeliever? So in other words, the only thing that you have in common with an unbeliever is lust. Do not marry an unbeliever. It's a sin. So then, the third question that we have to ask in these common sense questions are, is this. Are they scripturally free to marry? And this is specifically applies to our conversation last week on divorce and remarriage. And then the next question that you need to ask yourself is this. Is this God's will for my life? Oh, but she's gorgeous. Oh, he's handsome. It's got to be God. Let me tell you something. Gorgeous and handsome fades. As you get older... Steve, Steve, Steve. I don't have to get in trouble today. You just did it for me. Oh, my goodness. As you get older, things start changing. And the older you get, the more things change. Things aren't where they used to be. They drop, you nick, you, you tuck, you... Yeah, you know, and all the, I mean, I'm finding this out. I'm going to the gym, man. When I was 25 years old, four months into the gym, I was buffing the stuff. Man, it's, I'm working. Oh, Lord. I came home and I told Donna, I said, I don't remember it being this hard. And she said, well, honey, you're almost 50. I'm like, Pfft. So ask yourself, is this person God's will for my life? Now, let me give you a few things to think about this, okay? If you marry someone that is not God's will for you, then you are tampering with more than just your life. What about who they were supposed to marry? What about their life? What about who you were supposed to marry? What about their life? What about all of the natural, organic relationships that grow out of people coming together and becoming one? What about extended families, aunts, uncles, nieces, and all of these kinds of things? What about all of those things? It's very important that we... And the point that I'm trying to make here in this point is simply this. It's very important that we take marriage seriously. Marriage is not something we should rush into. But it's not something that we should put off or procrastinate if we know that it's God. Because if we know that we know that that person is God's will for my life, then we need to get the party going. But if, it's, but if we're not sure, then we got to be careful about it, okay? So now, here's a couple more common sense questions. Do they have a job? Are they lazy? Do they do drugs? Come on, we're in Pasco County. 
Had a lady tell Donna in Family Dollar the other day, she said, I used to take my kids to play at the playground over there at your church. She said, it's, it's so beautiful. You've made the place so beautiful. She said, but when I was there here not too long ago, I found a heroin pipe on, hidden on the playground. Donna said, we're going to have to start inspecting that playground. I, I said, yes, baby, we are. We're going to start. So you need to ask in Pasco County, do you do drugs? Are you or have you ever been involved in alcohol? Now, I'm not saying that that's a deal breaker. What I'm saying is let's get them free. Because every single one of us have a past. Every single one of us have been redeemed from something. Can I hear an amen? Every single one of us have been forgiven from something. And he can make all things new. But if you are wanting to marry someone right now who is actively participating in drugs and in alcohol, then abuse just naturally goes with that. And you need to say, I think I'll take a pass. Now, here's a huge one. This is a big question, a common sense question that you need to ask. Are we friends? Are we friends? Why do you say that, Pastor? Because let me tell you something, that one or two hours a day is nothing compared to the 23, 22 to 23 hours that you have to spend with them the rest of the day. So you need to be friends. You need to be able to actually be able to stand each other. <laughs> Y'all still with me? Teaching you the word. I'm talking about building a championship marriage. Second point that I want to make today is this. We need to be realistic. God made someone especially for you. Especially for you. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 22. God made Eve for Adam. He didn't make another one. We talked about that. He didn't make one like. He made one comparable to, which means equal to, but gave her a different role. And so we, so, so we look at the scriptures here in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 22, and God made her. So we have to ask ourselves this question. We've got to be realistic. Has God made someone specifically for me? Yes, He has. God's made someone specifically for you. Now listen. That person that God has made for you, because what happens is we get this picture of what we're wanting. We're believing God for this, and it's all perfect. Sometimes God joins that person to your life, and, and, and you get the joy of watching them develop into what you were believing God for. Well, I just don't know. Well, you're not perfect either, honey. God's still working on you too. God's preparing you. God's working you. God's getting you ready. God's, God's working on you. So, so, um, so many people today have these unrealistic expectations about marriage, especially younger folks have this unrealistic expectation about marriage. And this is the value of premarital counseling. I, I think we call it premarital counseling, we should call it an adventure and attempted discovery because you really don't know someone until you have lived with them. But that doesn't mean you have to live with them before you marry them to find out who they are. Hallelujah. One lady said to me, she said in, in our last church, she said, hey, pastor, 
She said, uh, she said I, I want to get married. I said, well, okay. I said, uh, come and talk to me. So we sat down and we talked for just a few minutes. And so it came out that she had been married a couple of, a couple of times before. And I said, well, I would like for you to attend uh, six to eight weeks of premarital counseling. She said, oh, I don't need counseling. She said, I've been married two times before. I know what it's all about. I went, oh, really? <laughs> I went, Really? I looked at her. I said, all due respect, all due respect to Ms. I said, um, I think you probably need premarital counseling more than the people that come in here that's never been married. I mean, basically what you just told me was you tried it twice and it didn't work. So let's get you these sessions. Let's see what we can do. Let's try to help you. One lady came to me, and she had been married five different times. This was in my second church. She came to me five different times, and she sat down, and she'd been married to her fifth husband for three months, and she sat down, and she talked to me. She said, I need you to talk to my husband. I said, why? She said, he won't straighten up. I said, what do you mean? She said, I'm going to have to get rid of him if he doesn't straighten up. I said, ma'am, I said, how many times have you been married? She said, five times. I said, how many times has he been married? She said, this is his first time. I said, what's the common denominator in all your five marriages? She said, I don't know. I said, it's you, honey. So why don't we just work on you for a while and then we'll see what we can do about talking to your husband. She didn't want nothing to do with that because I was another man and I didn't understand. (laughs) Premarital counseling isn't about telling you what to do and what not to do. It's about helping you have a wholesome life. It's about helping you not be completely shocked when you get up the morning after you are married. Every marriage will have its surprises. I was reading a little joke. You guys will call it a pastor joke. It's really corny. I mean, my kids will go, ha, 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 pastor joke, you know, these corny jokes. I tried it out on them, and I got that on, from them, so I knew it was safe to tell in the pulpit. <laughs> I said, uh, did you hear about the alarm clock? That quit saying tick-tock, tick-tock. It started saying tick-tack, tick-tack. <laughs> I know it's stupid, but I couldn't help myself. You'd <laughs> Every marriage has its surprises. Every marriage has its surprises. You know, I can promise you. <laughs> I can promise you that most of you in this room today don't look like this when you get up in the morning. See, when we're dating, we put on our best face. We put on our best attitude. We put on our best behavior. We can only afford a Big Mac, but we take them to Cody's instead. Because what we want to do is we want to let them know, I value you and I care about you, but if something was to ever develop and you were to get married on your budget, you're going to have to constantly just take them down and get them a Big Mac. Listen, don't lie in dating. Just be you. Just be who you are. Don't fake it because when you fake it, it's too much work to live up to it later. 
Just be who God made you. Just be who you are. Now listen to me very closely. When you get married, your spouse should help heal you. They should start help help make help make you whole. Now, at, at first, there there's surprises. At first, Adam saw that Eve was good, and he said, "Whoa, whoa, man! Wow, that's a that's a great name for her. Whoa, man! Woo, wow. yeah, woo!" She comes walking through the mist, you know, and he says, "This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I will call her woman, cause she was made from me." Her. Fourteen verses later, after sin had entered the the human race, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 12, he goes to God and he says, that woman that you gave me. It's right there. It's in the Word. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say every marriage has its surprises. So let's get really real for just a few moments, okay? Marriage is a, is a commitment, but it's also dirty laundry. Marriage is having a home of your own, but it's also mowing the grass. I got this from Christian Citizen. Marriage can bring the pitter-patter of little feet and dirty diapers. Marriage is making your own decisions and being an adult and paying your own bills. Marriage is waking up together every morning with bad breath, thus tic-tac, instead of tic-tac. Third thing that I want to share with you today. Do we still have time? We do, don't we? Third thing that I want to share with you today. God's divine order will accomplish God's divine plan. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24, the Bible said that the man is supposed to cleave to his wife. God is a God of structure. God is a God of order. I shared this with our, lead, uh, with our, our ministry trainees. I, I guess we'd call them interns or whatever. I shared it with them last Sunday in team building. I told them, I said, God is a God of structure. God is systematic. God is a God of order. God did one thing one day, then He done something else the next day, then He done something else the next day, and then He done something else the next day. And if you look at it and you study, the thing that God did on the second day built on what God did on the first day, the thing God did on the third day built on what God did on the second and the first day, and so on until all of a sudden we got here and God had created this beautiful place for man. God is a God of structure. God is a God of order. You can go into the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. In the first five books of the Bible, we see the Old Testament law that was given to God for Moses to set down a structure and to set down an order for life and for worship. God is a God of structure and God is a God of order. Then we see the crucifixion. We see the structure. We see the order. Every wound that Jesus had paid for something. Every single wound paid for something. I said this last week. I said it the week before. I'm saying it this week. God's divine order for the family is God, spouse, family, work, and everything else. Now, living in God's divine order, listen very closely, living in God's divine order creates unity, produces peace, and commands God's blessing of life upon us. Living in God's divine order creates unity. 
It produces peace and it commands God's blessing of life upon us. That's in Psalms chapter 133 where the Bible said, Behold how, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And in the last verse of that chapter it says, For there the Lord commands His blessing, even life forevermore. So God's divine order will accomplish God's divine plan. So if we want the blessing of God upon our life, then our life ha lives have to be uh, put together under God's divine order. We have to do it God's way. If we want what God says we can have, we have to do things the way that God says we have to do it. Now, the fourth thing that I want to share with you is this. Now, let, just let me continue on here for just a few moments, okay? I want to ask you this question. Is there chaos in your home? Is there trouble? Is there trial? Is there tribulation? Here's my challenge to you. Examine the order. Examine the order, okay? Do you want to live again? Then you, got, you have to surrender. You got to surrender to God's plan for your life. You can lose your family without ever getting a divorce. What happens is when we say, oh, you know what? That sounds good, God. <laughs> you know, I just really appreciate all of this and, and all of this stuff. You know, it sounds really good, but you know, uh, this is 2016 and it's not going to work for me. Listen, the most relevant book you will ever hold in your hand is God's holy word. And God doesn't waste His breath and He doesn't waste ink for anything. God didn't waste His time when holy men of God wrote as they were moved on by the Holy Ghost to give us an order to live by. So if you want your family back then we have to examine our order. The fourth thing I want to talk to you about is this. Seven steps now. The fourth thing I want to talk to you is pride will destroy anything. Pride will destroy anything, including your relationship with your spouse. The Bible said, and they too shall become one flesh. So it's not about me anymore. It's about us. And we become one. Proverbs 11, 2 through 3. In the Amplified Bible, when swelling and pride come, then emptiness and shame come also. Are you hearing me? When swelling and pride come, then emptiness and shame come also. But with the humble, those who are lowly, who have been pruned or chiseled by trial and renounced self, are skillful and god in godly wisdom and soundness. The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the willful contrariness and crookedness of the treacherous shall destroy them. Proverbs 13 and 10 says this, By pride and insolence comes only contention, but with the well-advised is skillful and godly wisdom. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 17 through 20, The highway of the upright turns aside from evil... He who guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the meek and poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who deals wisely and heeds God's word and counsel shall find good and whoever leans on, trust in, and is confident in the Lord, happy, blessed, and fortunate is he. Now, Pride will keep you from admitting that you're wrong. 
You want to have a good marriage? You have to be able to admit that you're wrong sometimes. I'm married to a strong woman. I mean it. She's strong. Only child. She'll duke it out with you, buddy. When she loves, she loves hard. And when she fights, she fights hard. And when she's through with you, you're probably never going to make your way back into her heart until God works on her. And I've seen him do that many times. She has to be strong to be married to me. Because I'm a type A personality. You don't believe it? Get around here sometime when we're working during the week. God said do this. Come on, what are you waiting for? Let's get with it. Let's get busy. Let's, let's go do it. People that have, have those kinds of personalities many times struggle with pride. I'm just being real transparent here to you, okay? Somebody told me God gave Donna to you because she's the only woman on this earth that could pop that big head of yours. I said, I'm not cocky, I'm confident. <laughs> Pride will keep you from admitting that you're wrong. We have this little game that we play, and this is the reason I told you about us being strong. If she was wrong, I'll say, you have to say, I was wrong and you were right. And she always looks at me and says, you were wrong and I was right. I said, no, that's not what we say. You say, you were wrong and I was right. And so this is this little game that we've been playing for years and years and years and years. And eventually, sometime, somewhere, some way, one of us will finally give in and say, okay, 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 I give, I give up. I, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. So pride will keep you from admitting that you're wrong. Some people say, I'll do anything to restore my marriage. That is, except saying, I was wrong. Or, I'm sorry. The fifth thing I want to talk to you about is having clean hands and a pure heart. If we're going to have a championship marriage, you've got to have clean hands and a pure heart. The Bible says in Psalms 101 and verse number 3, I'll set no evil thing before my eye. The American Family Association said sex is the number one searched for word on the web. 60% of the websites are pornography today. 9 out of 10... Eight to 16-year-olds have viewed porn on the web, some of them in, uh, innocently. The Standard Washington Times says this, 25 million Americans visit porn sites 10 hours per week or more. Another 4.7 spend 11 hours or more a week viewing internet porn. I will set no evil thing before my eye. Cleartraffic.com, which studies the traffic of the internet, said internet pornography was determined via a survey to be the number one or the number two cause of divorce. Listen to me, young men and older men. Pornography sets a standard that your wife cannot keep. And instead of viewing her as the gift that God gave you, you see her as meat. 
So stay away from that stuff. Makes you think the grass looks greener on the other side. So many families, so many hearts, so many relationships, so many marriages have been ripped apart because of this this problem that we have in our American culture today. The Bible says in Psalms 101 and verse number 3, set no unclean thing before your eye. The Bible says if a man looks on a woman to lust after her. That doesn't mean when you see a woman and a fleeting thought pass through your mind. That's when you practice the scripture where it says cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against them. So you just cast it down. But when you turn to lust, when you think, huh, whoa. Or when you get on those websites, you're doing it to lust. I will set no evil thing before my eye. Number six, be faithful in every way. Be faithful in every way. Spiritually, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number I'm going to teach you something here that you probably have never heard of. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church and the man is the head of the woman and the head of Christ is God. That's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 3. Now let's see if I can get this out right. This is one of those new things the Lord shared with me. I was listening to um, an authority on, on marriage. When I was doing my research, this came out. And I'm like, whoa. If I am to become the husband and the father that God intended for me to be, then I need to work to be like Jesus. Because Christ is the head of the church. The head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. I need to be like Jesus. The man needs to work to try to be like Jesus. Now, here's the thing that wowed me. God gave the woman the same name that He gave Holy Spirit. He called Eve the helpmeet for Adam. He calls Holy Spirit our helper. The Greek word paraclete, which means one called alongside to help. So here's the beauty of this. If I work to become like Christ, and she works to become like Holy Spirit, because they're all Godhead, And then we allow God, who is the head of Christ, to be the head of our family because Christ is the head and we are His church, His body. Then we have the triunity of God manifested in our relationship and we position ourselves to receive everything that God's Word says we can have. That means... I have to become like Christ. Isn't that amazing? So you can see the marriage relationship in the triune Godhead. You can see the marriage relationship in the the triune Godhead. So the woman was named Helper, Genesis 2.18. The one called alongside to help. So we need to be faithful spiritually. 
I need to work to be like Jesus. And, and our, our ladies, they need to work. And, and, and because all three are one, then they're still working to be like Jesus. And we're still working to help them because Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead and all of that. And God is overseeing the whole thing. But the main function is, is helper, not, not someone that is not equal, but just helping with the vision that God has given us then emotionally we need to be faithful. A merry heart, the Bible says, does good like a medicine. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 22. We need to have some fun. We need to have some fun. Emotionally, we need to have some fun. Nobody wants to be married to somebody that's all dull and drab all the time, right? I mean, what fun is that? I read a story. I should have went ahead and printed it out. I read a story, but it was this lady that had been married for 67 years, and someone asked her, and this is the story in short format, asked her, how come you stayed married to him? Didn't he change a whole lot throughout the years? She said, everything changed except his personality, and that's what I fell in love with. So when everything starts changing, then if we can just keep the laughter and if we can keep the love. And, you know, I, when, when I was studying this, I thought to myself, I used to chase Donna through the house with a squirt gun. I haven't done that in years. <laughs> I've not done that in years. I'm going to have to revive that practice. I mean, I remember, I remember when the super soakers came out, I thought that God had blessed me from heaven, buddy. Man. And she would squeal and run and I... (laughs) We need to have some fun. Physically, we need to be faithful in every way. Anytime you join yourself to another person physically, you leave a part of your life with them. Okay? Now here's the beautiful thing about that statement. He makes all things new. He makes all things new so the Lord can heal that and make you whole again. Do not engage in sensual conversation with a person of the opposite sex unless they're your spouse. Don't be doing that. Don't be doing that, okay? You're opening the door. You need to be faithful physically. And don't have time to read this, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 9. You should never, when you're married, you should never use sex as a weapon in your relationship. Because the Bible teaches us that your body, the sexual you, belongs to your wife, men, and the sexual you, ladies, belongs to your husband. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible said to defraud not one another except it be with consent for a time and then you come back together unless you were to get tempted because the Bible calls it your incontinency. In other words, not uh, uh, sharing the marriage bed. And then the last thing I'm sharing with you today, and we're getting through this today, so that's good. The last thing I'm sharing with you today, number seven, is in order to build a championship marriage, you need to be a peacemaker. Got to be a peacemaker. Peace is something that doesn't just happen. It's something that is made. We are called to peace. 1 Corinthians 7.15, Colossians 3.16. Now, I want to ask you this question to help you understand. Are you a sheep or a goat? Have you ever heard of an attacked sheep? No. You haven't. You have what, 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 what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, well, here's what I mean. Either you're a sheep or you're a goat. And when it comes to your spouse, you need to be a sheep. Sheep need to be tended to. 
Sheep need to be cared for. That means I need to tend to Donna. I need to care for Donna. I need to love her. I need to try to provide for her. I need to try to protect her. But at the same time, she needs to be doing the same thing to me, ministering to my needs. She told me, she's told me for years, and I've told her over and over and over, that's not what I wanted. She, she, and and here's, what, here's what she tell, told me. She's told me for years and years. She said, I just don't play music. I don't sing. I don't. Uh, preacher's wives are supposed to play music, and they're supposed to sing. I said, baby, I didn't marry someone to do that. I married a wife. I married someone that we could get away and, and, and just, just be together. Just, you know, I, I'm not wanting to marry somebody that's always going to, you know, uh, want, I said, I just, I, I got what I wanted. Quit worrying about it. I don't want her up there doing that. She wouldn't be back at the door hugging your neck. She'd be up here playing this. Her ministry is stronger back there where Jim's leaning up against that thing right now. Her ministry is stronger. God gave her that. And I told, well, I just don't feel it. Like, I said, honey, I said, you have absolutely no idea how powerful that ministry is. I said, there are people that tell you all of the time you're the only hug they get all week long. If she was the typical minister's wife, up here dancing around and singing or over here, all this kind of stuff, then she wouldn't be back there. She'd be getting up here on this piano right now because she knew I was winding down. Instead, she's thinking, I wished he'd shut up, <laughs> close this thing down, go back there and hug their neck. Then I'm hungry. I want something to eat. <laughs> That's what she's thinking. That's what she's thinking. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. For so they're called the children of of God. Amen. Come on, Robin. <laughs> Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're called the children of God. Did this help you today, this teaching? Building a championship marriage. Amen. Let's... All right. Real quick, question number one. Ask yourself common sense questions. Seek God's will. Number two, be realistic. Understand God made someone for you. I'm giving you the answers to your handout, by the way. Number three, God's divine order will accomplish God's divine plan. Number four, pride will destroy anything, including your relationship with your, your spouse. Number five, have clean hands and a pure heart. Number six, be faithful in every way. And number seven, be a peacemaker. Let's all bow our heads for just a few moments here. We'll be closing here in just a couple of minutes. A good relationship begins with your spouse, begins with the right relationship with God. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Him today. The Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible tells us that He'll take our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west and remember it against us no more. That's just the kind of God that He is. He's a God of love. He's a God of care. The sacrifice of Calvary was for you as much as it was for anyone else. And He loves you enough to have you here today 
to give you the opportunity to let Him be your Savior and become your Lord. So if you're here today and your heart's not right with God, then I want you to just bow your head where you are. And I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Mean it from your heart. Just kind of kind of cover the bases with the prayer. And then let us know before you leave that you've given your life to Christ today. Pray this prayer. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a Christian. I believe that you died on Calvary so that I could be saved. And now I confess you as the Lord of my life. I believe you're the Son of God. I want you to come in and live in me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer today, some people pray that prayer and experience an emotional release. Other people pray the prayer and it feels like words. The difference will be seen in the days and the weeks and the months that lie ahead. Stay connected to your church family. If you don't have a church home and a church family, this is a great place for you to begin your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Get connected. Stay connected. And let God help you grow today. Now the second thing that I want to pray about today is for every marriage relationship that's in this place right now. I want you, if your spouse is here, I want you to reach and grab their hand right now, wherever wherever they are. Wherever they are. And and I'm just going to pray with you. Also, if you are engaged to be married and you know you're going to be married, I want you to get the hand of that person too because it's called an espousal in the Scriptures. Just pray. Say, Father, I, I I just want to pray over you. Just let me pray over you. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray for every marriage relationship that is represented here today in both online and around the world. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would reach down into these relationships and reveal yourself. Father, I pray that you would bring healing to the hurt places, hurt emotions, Father. That you would bring wholeness to the broken places. That you would put together, God, things that the enemy has has put in their lives to create wedges. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would just reach down where they are and restore the joy. Restore the joy of their beginning relationship with them, Lord. Couple that with the love of the years. And God, let them find a fulfillment that they have not found in all of their life. Give them hope for the present and a vision for the future, we pray. And we just speak healing and we speak wholeness and we speak health and we speak restoration. Hope, hope, hope. We, we give hope to them. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we pray. Now, Father, I pray for every single individual here today that's believing you for the right spouse. God, I pray that you would continue to work upon them and work upon their God-intended spouse. Father, bring that work to perfection so you can bring them together, we pray. God, so they can find fulfillment and completeness in you and in each other. For that, dear Father, I give you praise. Now, Lord, I feel prompted by Holy Spirit to pray for those who have suffered through abuse. God, I pray that that you would heal them. I know you can heal the pain 
of abuse. Father, I pray that you would heal them and that you would make them not just whole, but healthy, healthy and whole and powerful and strong in you. Father, we give you praise. We give you praise and we pronounce blessing today in Jesus' name. And everyone that agrees said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.